Hello and welcome to episode number 22 of the Know Your Physio podcast. I'm your host, Andres Prichel, and today's guest is Per Bristow. He's a peak performance coach specializing in voice, and we're going to teach you how you can apply an understanding of physiology and psychology to communicate more effectively, whether it's to live audiences in the tens of thousands, or if you're in a very intimate setting, how you can communicate effectively by manipulating your voice and in that process discovering more confidence in yourself embracing fear and the unknown and coming alive with spontaneity achieving peak performance without planning it's all about that present moment and being confident in yourself and we're going to show you how you can develop that confidence and develop your voice in the process this is a really fascinating episode i hope you guys enjoy i'll see you on the other side Hello, my dear listeners, ladies and gentlemen. I have some exciting news, exciting update. The folks at Bioptimizers have truly outdone themselves with this new and improved formula for magnesium breakthrough. The best magnesium supplement on the market just got even better because it now contains cofactors like vitamin B6 and manganese to improve the bioavailability of magnesium. So for those of you who don't know what bioavailability means, it means that what you're introducing to your body is actually getting used up in a functional way to give you the effects that you're looking for. And with a lot of magnesium supplements, you don't have very good bioavailability. And on top of that, you only have one species of magnesium. Bioptimizers has seven different species of magnesium to support over 80% of your body's metabolic reactions, which are thousands. And now you really get to capitalize on all the incredible benefits of magnesium supplementation because we simply don't get enough through our diets nowadays. And if you want to learn more about that, by the way, tune into episode number 56 of my podcast with Wade Lightheart, one of the co-founders of Bioptimizers to learn more. So for folks who are looking to support their health and wellness and manage stress, uh, reduce anxiety, support a nice, calm, stable mood, get deeper, more restorative sleep, support tremendous energy throughout the day, I highly recommend that you take magnesium magnesium breakthrough that is on a daily basis. If I had to choose one supplement to take for the rest of my life every single day, it would be this one. I managed to get everything else that I need through my diet, all my macro and micronutrients, but because of the soil that we have today, we simply don't get the magnesium that we're supposed to be getting. And with our modern environments, it really helps to get enough magnesium. So I always like to go with the best, the purest, the safest, and the most bioavailable, which is why I choose magnesium breakthrough. So if you want to get your hands on some of this amazing, amazing stuff, go to magbreakthrough.com slash undress. That's M-A-G-B-R-E-A-K-T-H-R-O-U-G-H.com slash undress, magbreakthrough.com slash undress, and use code undress, A-N-D-R-E-S, during checkout to save 10% and get free shipping. Or simply scroll down to the show notes section of this episode on the preferred platform that you're currently tuning in from, and you'll see a link directly to checkout, which you can use right now before we start the show. Oh, and dare I mention that this is an incredible gift for your friends, family, and loved ones because it shows them that their health and wellness is in your best interest? Yes, it's true. In fact, I have my family set up on automatic deliveries on a monthly basis, on my mother's credit card because it's really the intention that counts. And you too can be intentional with your gift by giving the gift of Magnesium Breakthrough. So anyway, go ahead and use code UNDRESS at checkout magbreakthrough.com slash undress. Hope that you guys enjoy 
And now let's go ahead and get started with the show. So what part of part of the world are you in? I'm in Miami, Florida. How about you? Nice. Los Angeles. Sweet. Yeah. So I just want to say thank you for joining me on today's show. I have a, a couple of topics that I want to run by you that you're quite familiar with. I was going to send you some topics ahead of time, but I kind of wanted to uh, just have a more of a casual conversation about peak performance, how to build a stronger, more resonant voice, You know your methods and such. Yeah, I'll share a little bit about myself because I'm someone who I do a lot of public speaking now. I never had any formal training, but my whole life I had terrible, terrible stage fright. So uh-huh. I'd love to help my audience, people tuning in to develop that confidence with their voice and with the things that they want to share with other people. So, yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. Yes. So how did you find me then? I think I found you through some ads or something for a course you were doing. I'm not really sure how I found okay. you, but I started following you and I've really enjoyed a lot of your videos, especially the first one that comes to mind is the one where you start dancing with these two girls at the same time, live on stage. And I saw that video and I was like, oh my God, I would love to do something like that someday. It wasn't the dancing with the girls. I mean, that's great, right? But it's just the level of confidence you know, and just having fun. And that to me was was everything. It spoke volumes. So it's what it represented. And definitely something I want to help my audience, people tuning in to achieve. There's a big story behind that, which is why I did it on stage. And it ties into my greatest fear when I was in high school, which was dancing. Really? I'm still afraid of dancing. <laughs> which ties in with the fear of girls or the special girls that we want to approach perhaps, right? Right. That's interesting. I thought I was the only one with that fear, but I think every guy has experienced that. 100%. But that goes hand in hand, actually, with this thing that we need to be out there and we need to take charge in that sense, right? Be proactive. and, And the fear of rejection is massive. For a lot of my friends, I had some friends that were very good looking guys. As far as physically goes, they had nothing to be ashamed of. No insecurities doesn't exist. But Mm -hmm. something that they expressed was the bigger they are, the harder they fall. If they were so good looking and so confident, but then they got rejected, that would be real terror. See, that is so interesting. And once they shared this with me, I took the same approach myself. I was like, that terrified me. And I've never been good with talking to girls and flirting with girls. I've never been good at that. I made a fool of myself. This is actually a really interesting subject matter, I tell you, because that goes hand in hand with like beginner singers think that professional singers don't experience fear, which is absolute nonsense because the higher pressure that we have, the greater the fear is. And the better (laughs) we are, or in in that case, someone who supposedly should be successful, the pressure is greater. And it's, it's so interesting that we do this to ourselves. It doesn't matter how good we are. Yeah, but that ties into the the art of peak performance. Then, how can we actually come alive and and be able to perform at high levels, whatever situation it is? Yeah, the greater the expectation, right? The more pressure there is. But what I want to dive into with you is the skill of consistently building up to handle that pressure and to perform better and better and better. And something else I want to discuss is not just getting better, but understanding how we can dissect our mistakes and our Mm -hmm. failure. 
for me personally, it's slow hanging fruit for some of the most profound lessons with anything to do with performances. You have to understand what constitutes failure. Right. Are we live now? We're, we've been live for a while, actually. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And this is all going to be part of the show, by the way. So. Oh, jeez. <laughs> No, okay, I, I better get serious. Yeah, yeah. But no, but it's it's great. And one thing I wanted to ask you about was this fear of failure. And especially as we start to move up in the ranks or our social status, or become better at what we do as performers, or as athletes, as speakers, and the pressure builds up, the fear of failure builds up. Before we cover the fear of failure, I want to begin with how do people begin at the base level? Like I'll tell you from my experience. When I was in elementary, middle, and high school, I had this immense, ridiculous stage fright. People always tell me, yeah, like I have stage fright. Like my stage fright was on another level. I'd get up on, you know, in front of my class and my face would turn red, boiling, boiling red. I mean, I was spitting out completely incoherent sentences. You couldn't make up what I was saying. It was terrible. People would laugh at me. People would make jokes. And I just, I couldn't handle it. I couldn't handle being in front of the class. I couldn't even raise my hand in some classes. I had a lot of trouble with that. And I think it has to do with, I was taking medication at the time to treat attention deficit and amphetamines and it, you know, it puts you in a more sympathetic state perhaps. And there's all kinds of theories that I have, but I know there's a lot of people who suffer with something similar and people who suffer with general stage fright. What kind of message do you have for those people? How should they begin to approach a more confident version of themselves? and an improved ability to communicate a message. It's interesting now that you've chosen to do these kind of things. This has been therapy for me. And it's great. Yes. Yeah. So do you know what you were actually afraid of? For a very long time, I've, I've always thought that to present in front of a class, to be a speaker, you have to have it all figured out. You have to be perfect. Mm -hmm. I guess that my insecurity was the imperfections were so inflated in my instance, not thinking about it. Yeah. Okay, but let's recognize the psychology that we all have, right? So understanding psychology is very, very helpful. And then, of course, we want to understand our own psychology. And then if we can understand other people's psychology, which we can't unless we understand our own psychology. But if we then understand other people's psychology, we can also be more influential communicators. So what is it that we need as human beings in order to survive? Yes, we need food. We need shelter. Okay, fine. But what is it that we need beyond that? It is so fundamental because we are wired to survive after all. And in order to survive, we have to fit in. We have to belong. In our ancestors, if they did not fit in into the tribe wherever they were, they would be outcast and they can't survive by themselves. So we are herd animals in that sense that we actually need other people to survive. So I'm using the word fit in. And if we want to go a little bit bigger, we could say then love. But we may not need to be loved, although we all want to be loved. But we can't survive without being loved. But we have to in some way fit in. And if we don't fit in, now we become an outcast. And then we have to be able to survive by ourselves. And some people go that route because they've been so hurt. So... In order to fit in, what do we do? We, we do all kinds of things, right? And one thing that ties into the voice is that actually for a lot of people who grew up in environments where making sound is not necessarily encouraged or saying your opinion, whatever, is not really encouraged, right? Child should be seen and not be heard. And it's not necessarily malicious. It's also then that we're in an environment that where we learn that 
being silent is helpful. It's more respectful. Parents are tired, perhaps. They're working hard, and we don't have the awareness when we're kids when we should be making noise and when we shouldn't. So a lot of people grow up with feeling silence, although we're not aware of it at that point. But if you go even further back, the first thing that we did was making sound. I started our breathing process. And then we're making sound that we're exploring our bodies and we're making sound, doing all kinds of things to figure out what's going on, who we are, right? So it's so interesting when it comes to making sound. But and we also learn by making certain sound, we get certain things, right? We get certain sounds and then mom or dad, we get their attention. So sound is extremely powerful in that sense to be able then to connect, to communicate, to be loved, to fit in to be fed, to be taken care of. So therefore, when we get into adolescence and when we get into, I don't know if we were recording when we were talking about my fear in high school about girls, which ties into dancing. And, <laughs> you know, and, and I thought I was the only one who was petrified to, to uh, approach a girl or that special girl, right? Now, later on in life, I realized that most guys go through that and women go through it too. But for us guys, it's, we're often taught that we're supposed to approach, we're supposed to take charge, we're supposed to, it goes back to the hunter. If we don't, we're wimps. But then if we're rejected, what's that? Well, that ties into our deep psychology of surviving that now I don't fit in, I'm not being loved. Not just that I don't fit in or I'm rejected by the girl, but of course, if that's found out by all my peers, now everybody thinks I'm a loser and so forth, right? So we have all this stuff that goes on in our mind of what do we need to do to be able to fit in. And some people become silent. Some people become the class clown. And the class clown is often the one who makes a lot of sound and makes a lot of noise but wants laughter and so forth. But deep inside may not be so satisfied, right? So we all behave differently, but we all have this need to fit in. That's really the fear. So when we express ourselves and when, like you said, if you make a fool out of yourself and if you say the wrong thing and you're not good, you're going to be laughed at. Now, the weird thing is that when we have this fear, that is also when we do fail in that sense. That is when we freeze and so forth. And that is also when we suddenly are laughed at. So this is the interesting thing that the fear that we have also manifest. We become what we fear, which is so interesting. Why do we do that? And then we beat ourselves up even more. There's something that I that you may be familiar with is she's a, a psychologist from Stanford. Her name is Kelly McGonigal. And she did a TED talk on making stress your friend and how the most dangerous thing about stress is our negative perception of it. And actually, mm -hmm. when we're stressed, our heart pumps out this oxytocin, you know, the cuddle hormone, and it actually, the stress response, our body's designed to seek the social interaction with others and to seek the warmth and support of others when we're stressed. Mm -hmm. so it's like a mechanism built into the stress response designed to protect you and to de-stress, which I think is fascinating and plays really nicely in this concept of, you know, you want to be a good communicator. And returning to the point that you were making about you become what you fear. If we're looking to talk to that special girl and we start to feel our heart racing, we start to see our, you know, our palms get sweaty and, you know, all the classic symptoms of being in a more aroused, more sympathetic state, it's natural to some degree. I mean, that's how much that girl may mean to you, right? It's only proof, but 
you have to trust that in a sense, right? And so how can we trust mm-hmm. the stress that is there to prepare us when it's really preparing us? That's right. So I always talk about that fear is good. I love fear. I have <laughs> learned to embrace fear. And the trick is then I talk about being able to turn fear into freedom and then ultimate peak performance. So how do we do that? Well, first of all, it's not about avoiding fear. And that is the huge message, right? People are so afraid of fear. And then there's the fear of the fear, right? And then the fear of the fear of the fear. And it, and it just spirals downwards. We want to embrace fear. And we want to acknowledge that we are human beings and we have all these needs. And that's great. And I experience fear on a daily basis. And the people who have the greatest problems are actually people who deny their fears. And for us guys, that's a little bit additional problem because we are taught that fear is weakness. We are taught that we're not supposed to be afraid, right? And we're not supposed to be sad. You fall down, you start crying, say, get up, be a man, all that kind of nonsense. So we're actually taught then to actually hold in our emotions and pretend that we're not scared, right? I'm tough. Well, you might be tough, but that has nothing whatsoever to do with not being afraid. It's as if courage is the absence of fear. Of course it's not. Courage means how you behave when or how you act when you experience fear. You have to be afraid in order to be courageous. So therefore, what I wish that we all, this thing about fearless is nonsense. It's not about being fearless. It's about embracing fear and being afraid, and then we can actually do something about it. But like I said, most people aren't, aren't aware of what they're afraid of or that they are afraid. It's just that then it becomes a physical response in the body and nothing's functioning and what am I supposed to do? So, and we can use different words, anxiety, stress. It's all the same thing. There's a threat to our nervous system. But we want to recognize that not one of them is not worse than the other. The problem is in our modern society that we're stressed all the time. So the sympathetic nervous system is always in gear is always activated and that creates a lot of health problems. So we want to be able to then turn that on and turn that off. But there's nothing wrong with the sympathetic nervous system. It's a beautiful thing. It makes us more alert. Right? So going back to the hunter has to be a really alert. The pupils widen. Yeah, we can sweat. The heart rate goes up and we are alert. We're ready. But then we have to train ourselves. And this is training to be able to get into that calm, present state. You know, everybody talks about flow state being in the moment, being in the pocket. Musicians talk about being in the zone. Athletes talk about how do we get into that present moment? But it's certainly not the absence of fear. That actually has to be a readiness and alertness, a sympathetic nervous system response to be able to get into that state. That's why we want to embrace fear, and it's amazing. Someone comes to me and wants to do a session with me and say, oh, I'm nervous. I always say, that's fantastic. <laughs> and they think that I should, I should say then, no, you don't need to be nervous. There's nothing to be afraid <laughs> of. And that kind of nonsense. And that's why what often parents say to kids, oh, you don't need to be nervous. The response should be, that's wonderful. It's amazing. And I realized that back in the days when I played the violin before the concert and my fingers got sweaty and this, I was, oh, and the first time that happened, I was a little bit freaking out. But then I performed great and I realized this is wonderful. Otherwise, it would just be boring and I wouldn't be focused. Yeah. Fear is wonderful. Stress is wonderful unless it's just constant stress and we're not aware of it. You have the same worries today as you had yesterday and then you have them for another couple of weeks. What's the point? 
That's the problem we have. It's that we're just repeating the same kind of stuff in our, in our mind, in our brain, and, our, and therefore the nervous system is always triggered, and it's not even a new event. It's just yeah. a thought. This is a, a fascinating topic for a number of reasons. On a personal level for me, I like to engage in, I want to call it conditions of controlled chaos. And I like to do a lot of fear setting in a different way. I mean, I see a lot of fear in public speaking and in doing podcasts, and but now it's, it's a lot more comfortable. But what I'm really trying to describe is fear with some of my hobbies, such as spearfishing or road cycling. And those two hobbies are dangerous by nature, but I notice that when I do them consistently, I'm less afraid to engage with strangers, less afraid to speak online and to post on social media and run podcasts and do public speaking. I'm so much less afraid because my fear tolerance has changed, right? I have a higher tolerance for fear. And actually, the reason why I'm sharing this with you now I mean, beyond being related to the subject is because as of lately, I spent like a month off of training. I got sick and I spent a month off of training. And, you know, being someone with an athletic background, with, an, with a physiology background, like I almost got withdrawals, you know, for the dopamine response and for the fear. I mean, I was now less motivated to go and pursue social experiences, less motivated to go and publish things on my on my blog and to engage with other people. It's interesting how that works. And so I'm wondering, you know, I don't want to recommend spearfishing and, and cycling to everybody, but how can we implement fear setting into our lifestyle without having to be, you know, public speakers or podcast hosts? How can the average person implement more of this fear setting to reduce their tolerance and to better manage fear when it's more unplanned. So let's talk a little bit about peak performance then. So with my peak performance training, people often think that it's about being able to get up on stage and be at your very, very best that moment of time when you need to be at your best, right? That's what we associate with peak performance or an athlete who needs to be at their absolute best and biggest game of the season and so forth, right? But my philosophy in everything, people who have even with voice training, whatever, it really is about how can we then implement this in all areas of life. And you mentioned chaos before, and the fear of the unknown is often very common, right? But we want to recognize that for an artist, the unknown is the absolute most beautiful thing for any kind of peak performance. And we can consider an athlete being an artist. You do not know what is about to happen. And that is what spontaneity is all about. That is what life is all about. How can we embrace the unknown and be in that moment where we have absolutely no idea what's going to happen? And that spontaneity, right? And what if we could apply that to life? Wouldn't that be fascinating? And so many times we have our, you know, we have our schedule and we need to do this and we have everything planned and so forth. Okay, great. A plan is wonderful. But the ability to be spontaneous in the moment, to be alive, that's where life really is. So that is actually when we can embrace that also, when we train to be able to do that, then we can also experience this being in the flow state, being in the zone, being in the moment, and all kinds of situations in life when we don't have the pressure of the outcome. And I always talk about that, that most people want a specific outcome, but it is the process, it is in the moment 
where we actually enjoy it. And therefore, if we can enjoy that and then develop skills, of course, then actually the outcome will be amazing. But that applies to all kinds of situations. And then we want to be able to do that in more and more challenging situations. So if you can do that, if you feel that high and you get the dopamine response from spearfishing and doing something that's for other people would be considered dangerous, then how can we apply that feeling to all areas of life? And some people are great in some situations, but then are absolutely petrified in other situations. So that's the kind of training that I'm so in favor of. How can we then regulate our nervous system so we can then, I mean, there's a lot to it, obviously, there's training, but then how can we apply it to life? And that's a beautiful thing. And now we can live more spontaneous, more fulfilled lives, in my opinion. Very lovely. And I'm wondering if you have any tips for people that are about to get on stage, perhaps maybe if you know they haven't made this kind of effort to improve their performance, but let's say they're confident and they think they can handle it. But then all of a sudden, right before a big performance, they start to get really, really nervous or really, really stressed. I mean, like you said, it's all the same, right? It's this aroused state. Mm -hmm. What can they do? What kind of breath work can they practice? How can they manipulate their thoughts or their psychology in that moment to perform? Most important thing is then to recognize or frankly embrace what's going on. Why is there something wrong that you are suddenly feeling nervous? If we associate that with that something is wrong, then we also feel the need that I have to do something about it. It's a crazy idea, right? What if we embrace that? And as a matter of fact, you expect it. It's like, whoa, it's getting close now. It's like to my body. If we feel that we need to stop it or change it, that's actually when we get into problem. If we still instead embrace it, it's like, whoa, something's going on. This is a special moment. This is not just any boring, mundane moment of my life. Clearly, this is something special. That's actually helpful right there. The next thing I would say then is give permission. That's my favorite statement. I say it in every single training. And it's the first thing I say, give permission. And then we ask ourselves, give permission for what? Well, we give permission for whatever. That's the whole point. Now you actually become free right there. Now you can really step give up. Give permission on... to the spontaneity. <laughs> yeah, to anything. Anything. Right? So therefore, when you go up on stage, now you actually become less about trying to fix your own state or fix this or remember what you're going to say, which is all about past and future, past and future. Instead, you go up and you engage with the audience. And that actually becomes really interesting. Now it becomes a fascinating exploration instead of trying to perform. One thing that I want to share is there's a lot of people that are afraid of embarrassing themselves. And I think for a long time, I was too. You know exactly what the reason was. I'm still trying to dissect that. But one thing that someone shared with me once that helped me was they asked me, they said, can you recall the last time that someone embarrassed themselves in front of you? And I give it some honest thought and I couldn't remember really. I mean, in my life, there's been a handful, maybe a couple handfuls of people that have genuinely embarrassed themselves and I can't even remember who they are. So for the people that are afraid of embarrassment, I don't think it's that common, number one. I don't think it's that memorable, number two. What's an embarrassment? I've probably embarrassed myself today in this <laughs> call. How do we measure embarrassment? I think if there's anything that you should be embarrassed by is the audio. <laughs> Exactly. Right. I'm kidding. I'm seriously we, kidding. I'm seriously and we, kidding. And we started talking. I didn't know we were recording. And I probably that was, said well, that was my fault. That was that was my fault. 
I should have let you know. But what I'm saying is, how do we evaluate what is an embarrassment? I used to have the feeling, so I absolutely understand it, associate with it. There's a lot of pain associated with that. My fear of everything. I don't know if we were recording when we were talking about the dance stuff. If not, we maybe should repeat that because it's interesting, right? The fear of dancing and making a fool out of myself. Now I've actually embraced that making a fool out of myself can actually be quite charming. And if I <laughs> and I make jokes about that, right? I'm great at making a fool out of my, myself. And gosh, you guess what happens? That gives me a greater freedom. And now people think I'm charming and charismatic instead of being. Right when I do something that would be considered making a fool out of myself, does that make sense? It absolutely makes sense because it's something that I experienced myself. I mean, now I've fallen in love with fear, and I'm constantly looking to experience fear in new ways. But now I, I'm okay with making a fool of myself, and I do think it adds to this sort of charm that people seem to enjoy. You don't make a fool out of yourself when you can laugh at yourself. Yeah, I think、thing. I think it all comes down to being able to laugh at yourself. And I think for a long time I just didn't have the ability to laugh at myself. And so making room for that spontaneity and to laugh at yourself to me, it's it makes all the difference. If I go out and my pants rip and I laugh at it, people will think it's funny. Yeah, it's amazing. And then people say, "How can you be so confident about that?" But if I'm ashamed of it. Just the reaction to it that makes the difference. Yeah, it's so interesting when we give ourselves permission. Give yourself permission to make a fool out of yourself. As a matter of fact, you who are listening to this, go out and make a fool out of yourself today. It's fun, and then you realize even if you try, you won't be able to because you can't manufacture it. But if something happens that you hadn't planned for, that's what we call spontaneity. You improvise around it, and it becomes a funny moment. So comedians know this. When I'm on stage, I have no written jokes, but there's actually a lot of laughter, and I wonder, shoot, am I funny? I didn't know I was funny, but spontaneous. Any moment that's spontaneous, there tends to be a, a little bit of laughter, right? Or even if I meet someone that I've never met before, or we're having this conversation, I don't know. Yeah, but it's a beautiful thing, and this is what I've learned. You know, it took a long time for me to learn this, of course, but it's such a different life. And people think, oh, you're so confident, pair. It has nothing to do with confidence. It's really not about confidence. Am I confident to do what? To go up on stage? I don't know. It's not about that. You just embrace the spontaneity, and you embrace having the the space to make fun of yourself and to laugh at yourself. Self-deprecating humor is is mighty powerful. Yes, <laughs> if you're going out on a date, same thing. It works. Yeah, I think all of my best dates have just been moments where you know. Actually, there was just one date that I I'll never forget. Way back, I was like early high school, and the Girl that I was on a date with, she was super nervous. Like I was very nervous because it was one of my first dates of all time. But she、mm -hmm. was very, she was much more nervous than I was.、Mm -hmm. And we went to the sushi restaurant, and I said, "Look, I just thought to myself, I said, I have to, I have to make a fool of myself, or else she's gonna feel terrible the whole time." So、mm -hmm. I ordered this sushi roll, which has a, it's a really big roll, and it has a quail egg in it. It's this huge, monstrous, a monstrosity roll. It's got the masago, so like the large fish eggs, and then a quail egg. Okay. There's two ways to eat it. You can either take it piece by piece, somehow manage to cut it up, 
I think that's probably the appropriate way to eat it because it's so large, or you can just stuff it in your face. And that's what I did. I almost choked on it. And she started laughing and I started laughing. And from that point forward, it was the best date. Perfect. I told myself, I have to make a complete fool of myself. And man, I mean, you could just tell it was so, so, so lovely. That's a beautiful thing. You know, give yourself permission, make a fool out of yourself for the purpose of helping someone else to become more calm, relaxed, and be able to open up. That's a beautiful thing. So that ties into what we were talking about before. Awareness of ourselves is fine, but the awareness of others is even more beautiful. So when we can do it, then this is what communicators do, artists, and so forth, the emotional state of someone else. How can you make that one accept the situation or just feel better, right? That's, That's a beautiful thing. And that's what we want to do, whether it's one person in the room or whether we all stage in front of tens of thousands of people, right? Bravo! Good for you. <laughs> and and you, you've discovered the magic, magic trick. It was so much fun. And I probably had like, I slept my face with like wasabi after. I mean, it just, it just turned into like, not a joke, but it, it, we just were able to free up that anxiety and, and nervousness that we were feeling on, on one of our first dates. And it was probably a spontaneous moment. It wasn't that you had been at home planning for it for two days. No, because I actually really enjoy that role. And when I have it, typically I'll have it, like I'll take my time, I'll take a couple of bites. I'd been to that restaurant so many times. It was like I got the role and and when they put it down in front of me, I said, I just have to go for it and make a fool of myself. And it was just stellar. I'll never forget that. I'll never forget that. Perfect example of giving yourself permission. You had a spontaneous insight and you actually went for it. Yeah, yeah. You could have stopped yourself also, right? Yeah. Or you you can just change and do something different, but good for you. There you go. (laughs) Yeah, and there's been a number of experiences in my life, especially as of the past couple of years where now because I do a lot of work in networking and I'm meeting people all the time and I I have this online presence that's, that's growing, I feel that now it's a lot more casual for me to engage with others and to speak publicly. But one thing that I feel that I've been getting pretty good at is whenever I meet, let's say I see a, an old friend or I see someone who perhaps is more um, introverted and I happen to cross paths with them, I'm able to better put myself in their shoes and make a fool of myself to help mm-hmm. just completely calm the situation and and make them feel comfortable because I feel that when they see someone who's so comfortable being themselves, communicating, they can be intimidated. I speak a little slower and I make jokes and and I try to alleviate that nervousness because people can be intimidating when they're so fearless and when they give themselves so much space. So I do enjoy making a fool of myself on a consistent basis. Fantastic. People should realize that I'm very introverted. This thing about being able to communicate with other people has much less to do with introverted think. So I don't want to go into and barge into a situation and take over and be center stage and stuff like that. I'd rather sit in the background. I sat in the back in the classroom. So I stay in the background. So when we're talking about giving permission and this, this example that we gave, I don't want to give the impression that it's about doing stuff and doing tricks and you know clowning around and that kind of stuff. What it really comes down to, if it's in a situation, whether you are on a big stage or a room, it really is becoming better and better and better at being really curious about the other person. Mm -hmm. And therefore, we take our focus off of ourselves 
And therefore, that spontaneity is still there, but it really is for the benefit of the other person. We really want to get to know another person. And that is actually from being an introvert, you have therefore become good at understanding other people's psychology. That's why I've become an effective coach, but also a good communicator in this I actually pay attention. And then I can be spontaneous in the moment and have a serious moment or have a laughter, those kind of things. But that's actually what you did also. The stuffing in your face there was not just a trick that you had planned or, you know, you doing a, something that you think is going to get a laugh. It actually came out of what you saw in her, right? And you wanted to do something for her, which, again, we said is a beautiful thing. When we can engage more and more with other people. So if we're in a situation, we come in, people know each other and I don't know anybody. I feel like the outcast. I'm not just going to barge in, but I'm going to be very interested and curious and pay attention to the other people. And then there will be a moment where I can enter the conversation. I mean, the similarity on my end is we do share uh, this background in psychology. I mean, I have... I studied psychology in school and I think it has helped me be a more effective communicator because you can better put yourself in other people's shoes. But as far as being a good listener, you know, and by the way, I think a terrible way to start a conversation is, hey, by the way, I studied psychology. Immediately, the other person is intimidated because they think that you know them better than they know themselves. So I don't like to mention that. But I do, I will obsess over the other person's substance. Because especially if I have no, if I've never met them, and if for whatever reason, perhaps I'm a little more aroused, a little more nervous, a little more anxious that day, I completely take the attention off of myself, completely, and I just look at the other person in the eyes, and I pick up on what they're saying, and I'm a active listener, I'm, I'm asking them questions, and it's not artificial; it's to help me fall into the flow of an effective conversation and take away from my perceived inability to better engage and from there, get the flow going. Yes. Genuine curiosity. I'm a curious person. I don't know if I've always been, but I developed that and it becomes fascinating. I'm fascinated with people, how they think, what they do, all kinds of situations. Yeah, it's a beautiful thing. I want to make the transition now towards developing your voice because we've spoken a lot about effective communication and, and that sort of confidence and fear and handling fear, but how can we develop our voices to be more effective communicators? How can we develop our voices for effective communication to lead others and to be better for ourselves and for other people? Yeah. And it's interesting that everybody in this day and age should be aware that you can effectively develop your body in all kinds of ways. Yes. We go to the gym we work out, whether we want to be professional athletes or not, we can still work out and improve dramatically. And it's fascinating. A lot of people don't realize that they can do that with their voice. It's amazing. A lot of people think that singing is an activity and some can't. You're born with it and all that kind of nonsense. Of course, you're born with it. So what? You're born with legs also. It doesn't mean you can't ability to run. So we can improve dramatically. And most people, of course, don't know how to do this because it's not so common. And this is my forte. This is what I developed and the method to improve that. And that came out of, well, <laughs> what did it come out of really? It came out of me being very introverted and I never used my voice. I didn't speak up much, but I was also an athlete. So I knew about muscles, anatomy, that's helpful. And then, of course, the peak performance, which also came both from I 
mentioned that I played the violin when I was a kid, but then also being an athlete to perform at your best when it matters the most, how I can learn about that, the psychology, which was kind of a compensation also because I wasn't the naturally strong and explosive athlete that I would have loved to have been. So I compensated them by, by the mental aspects of both learning techniques, accessing muscles, muscle isolation skills, which also goes hand in hand with the violin playing, developing the finger skills. And then I realized, hmm, this ties into the voice also. So in high school then, a little bit of this thing about wanting to get attention perhaps, I created a musical show like review and, and I started singing and I realized that being able to sing on stage is actually a good way to get attention. Isn't that interesting? And then later on, I realized that there's more to it than that, obviously. But I realized that I can actually train my voice. And then when I started coaching voice, then I also had physical issues. I lost my voice physically and stuff like that. And then I really realized how important the voice is. So then I really found a passion to wanting to help people overcome voice problems, develop stronger, richer voices. Singers want to sing high notes. Speakers want to get deeper voices, be able to project with less effort and uh, have richer, more resonant voices, perhaps. So then I developed a method that we can actually do that. And it has to do with, with muscles. It has a lot to do with muscles, as a matter of fact, much more than people realize. But then, of course, it also ties into the psychology. So when I do exercises of releasing, a lot of people talk about control, for example, and I'm not in favor of the word control because that actually ties into this fear stuff, the fear of being out of control. Instead, we give permission to be out of control, and instead we turn that into trust and influence. We don't need to control an audience. We can influence an audience. We don't have to control our breath. We can influence sub-breath. We don't have to control the pitch of the note. We can influence the pitch of the note, and that actually makes us much better, frankly. So therefore, it ties into this thing about releasing, releasing of the voice, releasing vibration, developing the strength, releasing the muscle, the compensatory tension, which also goes hand in hand with the psychological tension. Oh, do I sound bad? We might be afraid of our own voice, right? Oh, no, I can't sing the, these high notes. And we, we hold back and we create a lot of tension that we're not aware of. And singing might be one of the most fearful activities, most empowering activities. Isn't that interesting? So therefore, the fear of not sounding good is fear of missing notes. And people who miss notes think they're tone deaf or they have a problem with their ear. And it has nothing whatsoever to do with that. So singing or speaking, releasing our voice is so profound. And I'm so fascinated by the voice as an instrument and the conduits to express our, our soul, who we are. It's fascinating, don't you think? Absolutely. It's, it's why I felt so called to have you on the show, because I would like to improve my skills, and I would like to share this experience in this conversation with individuals who are looking to do the same. You know, Regardless of what you do, if you have a, a stronger, confident, more uh, richer voice, you can better influence and better communicate these good intentions that you may have. Absolutely. And that applies, again, being on a stage in front of thousands of people or being on a date or being wherever, right? Because it's not really about how you sound. It is actually about the energy that you emit when you release sound, you release your voice, you release your inner voice. We all sound different, and that's a beautiful thing. Is there anything that we can do now between you and me? 
to perhaps improve my voice? Or is this more of a, of a long, steady training that you have to embark on to develop those muscles? Is there anything that you can do in the short term to have a stronger, richer, more resonant voice? Both. Both? You okay. can improve dramatically in a short amount of time, but we also want to treat it as something that you're always engaged in training. I would like us to treat our voice in the same way we treat our body. Right. Meaning, can I show you how to maybe run faster today with the body you have? If I'm a sprinter training, of course, I could, I could give you some tips and you would probably break your record if you haven't run a lot, right? But if you're at a high level, then it actually is not so much about the tricks. It's actually is about training. Right. We actually don't exhale or we want to exhale. But the tendency is that there's not enough exhale. And saying that may or may not be helpful because it also goes hand in hand with everything else that's going on. But if I speak like this, I talk like this, and now, uh, now it becomes a little bit, a bit of a scratchy thing. A lot of people have this when they talk on social media. You hear that? But if I actually release a little bit more, I'm actually exhaling a little bit more. You have less of the scratchiness. You hear a difference? Yeah, it's deeper, fuller. Yeah. Yes. It's a sense of greater freedom, right? So, again, if I exaggerate that I talk like this. Hey, how are you? Feeling good? Yeah. Even if it's like I'm being like super. You sound like Morgan Freeman. (laughs) (laughs) When I do this, well, Morgan Freeman has a wonderful voice though. (laughs) But but you can hear that it's restricted, right? And we get the scratchiness. Now, a lot of people don't do that all the time, but it often happens at the end of the sentences. Sentences and they got this at the end. Right. So that, and that's a lot of contraction, a lot of tension that builds up, and that also makes them more tired in the day. So if I say, hey, I can still go deep. Oh, yeah, how are you? And now I, I have this cheesy microphone, so I don't know if it's picking up very well now. I blame it on the microphone, right? So, but, <laughs> but if I say, hey, how are you? Feeling good? Hey, okay. Yeah, so then, yeah. I, then I also can have melody. I can, oh, yeah, I feel amazing. Instantly, instantly, a higher energy, higher vibration, better mood. Instantly. And we want to develop so we actually do have range. So it doesn't become all this all the time, even if I have a decent voice here, perhaps not. But yeah, I can do that. But that's amazing. Oh, Oh, yeah. right. It's a lot more expressive. And I think it really helps build that trust and connection with others. I mean, if you're restricting your voice, how much more about your personality are you restricting? I like the way that you said that. It's what it represents. It's like you when you see a tightening in that muscle, I mean, where else is that tightness occurring? And when we're stressed, we tend to tighten up literally as you see this elevation in cortisol and such, and we become vasoconstricted and now Mm -hmm. our voice will suffer. And you can like that, just instantly manipulate your physiology to give yourself the freedom to express and to give yourself the freedom to make mistakes and then laugh. Yes. And that gives us freedom to be spontaneous. There you go. Right. And we, if we have more instrument, we can do more things with it. And you know, go back to violin playing. If I can only move two of my fingers, I'm going to be limited. So we want range, but then we also want dynamics. So if you want, need to be able to call out, get attention, you're in a loud environment, you're over the dinner with 12 people in a loud environment. And if you don't have a voice, what's going to happen? You are going to talk to the person next to you. You're not going to even try 
to say, hey, everybody, I have a great idea <laughs> to get everybody's attention, right? And if you do, then, hey, everybody, let's go. And then you start getting bored. <laughs> and now you feel that you really need to shut down because now you feel that your voice is going out, right? If you want to be more intimate, right? So if you want to talk softly, hey, hi, how are you? Yeah, it can still be powerful in the sense that it becomes attractive and influential. But it's not necessarily that is soft like this. Right? Now yeah. I'm soft. <laughs> now I'm soft because I, I can't do anything else. It's like, and now I need to go, hello, can you hear me? Hello. Hey. Oh, yeah. All right. <laughs> I love that. And, and let me ask you something. What, what, about, what about accents? Do you ever play with accents? What do you have to say to people that maybe have an accent that they're embarrassed by? You know, I know, for example, my mom is an incredible communicator. She reads all the time. Her vocabulary is super rich, but sometimes she's afraid of her of her accent. Mm-hmm. She's Latin American. She's afraid, you know. For example, I'll, I'll make fun of her for a second because because we have a special relationship, and she listens to the podcast. Mm-hmm. I ask her to say sugar, and she'll say sugar or turtle. She says turtle. You know, she can't pronounce those words mm-hmm. and. I would like her to have more freedom. She's an incredible storyteller. You wouldn't believe it. And sometimes I feel that she's a little, a little intimidated, especially when we're in front of like my American, my full bred American friends. So what advice do you have for people that maybe have accents that they're... Well, I I am the example of this. You do know that I'm from Sweden, right? I do have an accent, don't I? You hear my accent? I'm so yeah. embar- I'm so embarrassed now. <laughs> oh, I think I think accents are sexy. I think they're sexy. Oh, if that's you work, interesting. If you work the accent, I mean, people, you know, my first language is Spanish, and sometimes people will pick up on my accent. I think now nowadays it's pretty neutral, but people will pick up on it. I think that if you work your accent, it's sexy. It's unique. If you fear yes. the accent, it creates that tightness again in so many different places. Yes. So I had a much broader accent when I came to the U.S., right? So if I speak with a more of a Swedish accent, then oh, wow. it's, it's both a different kind of melody, but it's also the especially, well, both vowels and consonants are very different. So the J sound, there are a lot of sounds that we don't have, right? So judge. Part of it is then I mentioned muscle isolation skills. I'm, I mentioned that it has to do with muscles. And when it comes to language and accents, the tongue is very, very involved. And the tongue moves in a certain ways, different ways in different languages. And this is something that we can train. But again, people aren't aware of the exercises they do. And it's not about tongue twisters. (laughs) And then you create a lot of tension in your voice. But we actually do exercises for the tongue. So what's the position is, is the tongue in there? Well, what happens is when we say that word, for example, it becomes j, j, and now you close off the voice. J, j. But we want j, to have j, how can it resonate, right? right? How can it actually vibrate? So there are a lot of exercise to do. So therefore, the language, the speech becomes smoother. So it doesn't become so choppy, which often happens when we have an accent, whatever accent, when we speak a second language, whatever the language it, it is, it becomes more choppy and then pulls back and then we speak slower. And then because it's also choppy because we're judging ourselves because maybe I right. 
don't sound good. And then I'm trying to hide and then I'm speaking softer and then I'm mumbling and we try to hide the accent. But again, it's like we're trying to hide the mistake. It actually <laughs> emphasizes the mistake. It emphasizes the accent. Right. It emphasizes, it makes it even more obvious that you are a foreigner. So therefore, exercising, training the tongue to move in, in certain ways, training the voice, and therefore you can have a flowing voice even though you do have a little bit of an accent, even though the vowels and consonants come out a little bit differently, there's still a flow to the language, and that is, as you said, that makes you unique. That makes you interesting. Now you become a good communicator, it's just that you have an accent, which might be cool. I think it's really cool when people just work their accents when they work their accents. I don't know why everyone thinks the solution is to develop a more structured, just let it flow and work the accent. I think it's sexy. I went to a very international school where, you know, the thicker your accent, the better, but I know that it's not the case in a lot of schools where the population is more, more homogenous. I wanted to ask you a little bit about, and we've alluded to this on multiple occasions, but what advice do you have for people that won't communicate because they have a stutter. Is there any advice that we have for these people? I mean, I know that it has a lot to do with, you know, their aroused state, maybe they're stressed out. And for example, when I took medication to treat ADD years ago, with that, I developed a stutter and I became afraid of communication. So we're not doctors discussing medication, but what advice do you have for people that have a stutter? So stuttering is really interesting. And if I may be so bold as to recommend someone who stutters to actually do my training, it's going to help dramatically. There is a reason why someone who stutters, stutters far less, perhaps not at all, when they sing. Why is that? It is absolutely fascinating. So part of this thing that I've mentioned earlier today about releasing, creating greater flow is amazing for the person who stutters. Now, we all can stutter on words and things like that. I do it too. That's not what we're talking about here. And that's okay. We can give permission for that. That's also why we don't want to feel that we have to be perfect. A stutter here and there could be fun. But you can have so much more flow to your voice. And that's what my training has become known for. Whether you stutter, whether you have an accent, whether you have a voice problem and therefore you, you feel this the tension spasmodic dysphonia, which is the extreme when the, everything closes down, right? There are lots of different conditions for the voice, but to train the voice and to be able to have more flow and therefore that will make you more communicative, you will feel more confident, you will feel that your unique voice is okay and you become so much more um, influential, frankly, and you become more interesting and you don't have to be ashamed of whatever is going on with you that actually makes you unique. But stuttering can be improved dramatically. I love that you're recommending your course. And in fact, I'm quite interested in in doing some training with you because I want to develop my speaking skills and do more public speaking. You know, I definitely am not anywhere near what I would consider the pinnacle of or the peak of my performance or success. You know, I'm still a very, very young guy and I do want to develop this skill. So I appreciate you sharing that. That's a wonderful mindset. May I applaud you for that? I've done interviews with some, you know, really seasoned singers who have had careers for 50 years and they do my training. They always want to improve. I love to learn. I want to improve. I want to find ways to develop my body, my health, my strength, all these things. And we want to have that with our voice too. So bravo. Yeah. I'm deeply curious and I'm always looking to learn more and level up. So I, I will definitely 
follow through and, and I'd love to do some of that with you. And I actually have a couple more questions. I know that we're running short on time. I have a couple more questions. In your website, you mentioned how you can use different nutrition strategies to either achieve peak performance. I mean, that's well known, but is this also with regards to developing your voice? Is there anything that you can eat, any supplements that you can take for your voice or for better public speaking? The number one thing that people are lacking is actually sleep. I love that you said that. Yeah, I'm really big on sleep. I'm huge on sleep. Yeah. Yeah. And I don't know if you saw them that I actually did. I don't want to sit here and sound as if I'm promoting my stuff here, but you know, <laughs> I launched my Sleep with Freedom program a year ago because I, I run into so many artists, creative people have often a hard time falling asleep. One is that their creative mind is so busy, but also that they tend to have late schedules if they're artists. And being able to fall asleep quickly is a mighty powerful. How can we do that? That actually ties into the peak performance skills, how to change your state and your mind, your brain waves, all these kind of things. But then it's also be able to have a restless sleep throughout the night and also be able to wake up without an alarm and sleep enough. So effective sleep is so powerful. And I feel that that's actually probably the one thing that most people are lacking. If people are trying to lose weight, sleep. If you're trying to gain muscle, sleep. If you want to perform at high levels, sleep. So let's get away from this nonsense, this uh, badge of honor that I, I'm working so hard so I can't sleep. You might be working hard, but you're not working effectively. So that's the number one thing. And then, of course, a lot of people are dehydrated also. So that's actually something that we all know it, but we still don't drink enough water. That's water, ladies and gentlemen. That's not sugar drinks. <laughs> <laughs> and those two things right there, if you remove those two things from anyone's lifestyle, automatically they're less prone to do any kind of or engage in any anything that's fearful or to take this sort of risk, you know, speaking before an audience. It's it can feel risky, it can feel fearful, but automatically, if you remove hydration, you remove sleep, you're gonna be in a more aroused state, in a more sympathetic state chronically. That's right. And, then, and that's interesting also because then you actually start craving the junk food, the sugar, the, the fast glucose and to your brain, right? Because every decision you make, you need glucose. So in a high performance situation, you need glucose in your brain. And we don't want that through the junk stuff. Right. And I'll tell you, I'll just share from experience. Whenever I run one of these podcasts and I'm having the conversation, especially like a high level conversation, nutrition, physiology, performance, and it's an hour and a half, just, you know, one-on-one, -on -one, it's draining after, after my Absolutely. podcast. Oh my God, I'll have a big meal. I'll enjoy some very nutrient dense foods. I'll make sure I get some good sleep. And it's incredible. I mean, of all organs in the body, if I'm not mistaken, the brain can consume the highest amount of glucose in a given moment. I mean, in terms of proportion, mm -hmm. right? It just sucks it all up. The nutrition, the sleep, the hydration. And I'll share something with you. I don't know that this is placebo or what, but the days that I don't get a lot of sleep for, for whatever reason, sometimes, you know, as of recently, I, I overtrained recently. I mean, getting, I was spent a month sick. I came back to my standard routine. Very silly, but I overtrained and didn't get good sleep. What I noticed was that my voice was a lot more high pitched. It's almost like my testosterone levels dropped or something, or the cortisol shot up, or, or both. I can't tell you exactly what it was, but I felt that my voice was, was way high pitched. Yeah, that's very, very common, but it's also because of the tension that's in your body. Yeah, absolutely. If we're going to have a deeper voice, we need to develop the muscle strength to have depth in the yeah. voice, but we also 
in combination need to relax the compensatory muscles. So what often happens when people get nervous, the pitch goes up also. Right. And so with a lot of people that are looking to reach this peak performance, you know, a classic supplement for peak performance, caffeine, right? Coffee. People take coffee, it reduces the perception of fatigue. It gives you more energy. It can support that flow state, but it makes you by nature a little more aroused, a little more sympathetic, a little more anxious. So how can you essentially get the best of both worlds? Are you a fan of caffeine? Do you introduce other supplements to offset the anxiety? Well, I don't drink coffee. Okay. So what can I say? Right. Well, I do drink coffee. I drink a lot of coffee. I'll get to why. Yeah. The reason I don't drink coffee is, well, the way it started was a little bit of a protest because everybody else does it. <laughs> <laughs> but no, but seriously, I mean, but it's also a very addictive substance, right? So a lot of people do it because they need it, not because they want it. That's a problem for me. I don't want to get into any addictions, but then uh, maybe you could say that I'm addicted to water, right? So <laughs> yeah. 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 I don't want to recommend to take anything. I, I want to be more in the encouragement of what to do rather more than what to take. It's so common for people who have voice problems. They post online on social media, what should I take to fix my voice? And I'm like, it's not about what you should do. It's what you should do with your body and your muscles to get the vocal vibrating and reduce the tension and then you can actually have a functional voice again even if you think you've lost your voice so that's sort of my philosophy but i'm very big on health also obviously right i'm a big believer in caffeine when it's from a from a high quality bean small batch all that good stuff i mean i drink Keon coffee i don't know if you're familiar but it's a super super high quality supplement brand and I don't know anything about coffee. <laughs> well, maybe you know about Keon because they have other things, you know, beyond coffee. They do a lot of cool <laughs> supplements and such. And I mean, maybe you're not a fan of supplements at all. I like to limit my supplementation, but I do have coffee because it's an awesome nootropic and there's a lot of antioxidants and it helps promote, you know, for example, I do a lot of intermittent fasting and it helps mm -hmm. keep my hunger levels low, still promoting more energy expenditure and such. So, there's reasons why I take it, but my approach is I'll combine coffee with something like L-theanine, you know, a very calming amino acid. And for example, there's people that don't like coffee and want something that's a little calmer, a little more soothing, not very anxiety promoting is they can take green tea or matcha because it naturally has this L-theanine. So I was going to ask you about L-theanine. And actually, I wanted to ask you additionally about, you know, nitrates. So taking like dark chocolate or beetroot powder before a show, that's something that I will do that a lot of peak performance experts have shared with me. Because for example, when you have dark chocolate or beets, it promotes this release of uh, nitric oxide, which dilates your blood vessels. It can help you relax a little more. But I don't want to get into this so deeply, especially after our conversation, because I do think people should instead develop their psyche and their mindset about performance before they consider any kind of supplementation. I think it's a fundamental pillar before they start to approach anything extra. There's always a pro and a con with anything, right? Even, even with the chocolate, yes, nitrooxide, but then if, if you're sensitive to, to the whatever they call oxalotate, is that what it's called? How do you pronounce it? Oxaloacid, yeah, something like that. Yeah. <laughs> something, something like yeah. that. Yeah, <laughs> I don't remember it. But then that can also be a, be a dilemma, right? But you could also improve the nitrooxide levels through breathing. Yeah, absolutely. Nasal breathing, diaphragmatic breathing, yeah. 
conditioning athletes like endurance athletes can use the beetroot stuff and yeah. that might be be helpful so and it also but it depends on what's going on with your body if you're lacking blood circulation things like that so yes. yeah well i wanted to bring this up because you mentioned it on your website but i love that you are such a fan of this of producing a sort of courage and confidence endogenously i'm a huge fan of that i appreciate you and i look up to you as someone who's mastered the physiology to accomplish so much I look forward to learning a lot more from you. I haven't mastered anything. I'm learning. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you've mastered, in my eyes at least, being a young guy in the performance world, you've mastered the ability to engage in fear and to thrive in fear and to thrive in spontaneity. So I applaud you for that and I look forward to learning a lot more from you. I very much appreciate what you're saying. And I do think one of the keys is to always want to learn. I really do think so. So if you're saying that I've mastered things, I I thank you for that compliment. And if so, it's probably because I love to learn. I love that. Yeah. Curiosity. The reason I'm an effective coach is I often say that I don't consider myself a teacher or a coach. I consider myself a learner more. But the reason I have become an effective coach is because I'm good at learning. And therefore, I've helped other people learn effectively. And if I'm one-on-one with the person, I can quickly learn about that person, what that person needs to get to the next level. And if they do the online training, I develop the strategy so that they can learn themselves. And that's what I think is, a, is fun also for anybody. It's fun to learn and improve and feel that we grow. So tell me, where can people find you and how can they, how can they engage with you and in your course? What's the best way to find you? Best way is probably pearbristow.com. So my first name is the weird name. That's the Swedish name. It's P-E-R, right? But I say pear like the fruit because, hey, I think it's funnier. <laughs> and, and Bristow is a good old British name from my dad, B-R-I-S-T-O-W. So P-E-R-B-R-I-S-T-O-W.com is sort of the main hub where you see my different training programs. The singing zone is what a lot of singers go to. And then I'm on Instagram Facebook also. So uh, find my social media. I have to get better at the social media stuff. But uh, I can, I can help you with can't that. Do, can't do everything. <laughs> awesome. Well, I'll go ahead and uh, everything that we discussed, you know, I'll have a, have a link in the show notes, your website, any other pages that we may have mentioned or articles or uh, videos. I believe I mentioned a couple of videos. So thank you so much, Pear, for joining us today. This was an incredible, incredible time. And I look forward to uh, developing my voice and confidence with one of your courses. Thank you so much. Thank you. It's been a pleasure being here and thank you who have listened to this. Thank you. So that's all for today's show. Thank you so much for tuning in today. For all of the show notes, including clickable links to anything and everything that we discussed today, everything from discount codes to videos to research articles, books, tips, tricks, techniques, and of course, to learn more about the guest on today's episode, all you have to do is head to my website, andresprechel.com. That's A-N-D-R-E-S-P-R-E-S-C-H-E-L.com and go to podcasts. You can also leave your feedback, questions, and suggestions for future episodes, future guests, so on and so forth. Thanks again for tuning in and I'll see you on the next one. Have a lovely rest of your day.